The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Reverend Chuck Tedrick, Dean of Students at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning, friends. Glad that you are here. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to hear again God's word, and I'd like to examine one of the prayers out of the book of Jonah. Last week in our chapel on Thursday, we got to hear Dr. Estelle address chapter 4, which really had to do with the mercy of the Lord and some of the questions that were there uh, that were asked. Does Jonah have a right to be angry with the Lord or with the plant or with God's mercy on Nineveh? A wonderful section and wonderful passage, and I wanted to back up, flash forward a little bit to a prayer that Jonah actually has uh, recorded for us in the belly of the fish. Before we read God's word, let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word and to hear from you. We pray that your word would be effectual in our lives, accomplishing all that you have set out for it to accomplish. I pray that we'd be refreshed and renewed again as we hear of your great mercy and rescuing one from the pit, and giving them life and raising them up, which of course is a picture of all of our salvation as you have taken us from being dead in our trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ through your Holy Spirit and for your glory. We thank you for these gifts. We thank you for your mercy. We pray that as those who have been shown mercy, that we indeed will show mercy as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We'll actually start reading at Jonah 1, chapter 17. And you'll notice, I'm sure, that verse chapter 117 and verse 210 kind of form a frame for the whole uh, pericope or the prayer, the poem. Jonah 1, starting in verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, this, of course, is one of the great stories of Scripture. It's well known by all, and I think one of the themes here that's hit upon in verse 9 that salvation belongs to the Lord 
is not only the theme of this passage, but we could say it's the theme of Scripture, isn't it? That the theme all along has been the promised seed, a people, and a place, and all of the little narratives fit into the grand narrative of God seeking and saving his people. From A to Z, salvation is a gift. From A to Z, salvation belongs to the Lord, and it's something that he gives to his people. We recognize that Jesus does not just make a way of salvation possible, but Jesus saves, and he saves to the uttermost. And here we have a great visual, a great story uh, pointing forward to this. I want to look at two things briefly this morning, the Lord's rescue operation and the prophet's prayer of gratitude. The Lord's rescue operation and the prophet's prayer of gratitude. If you remember in verse 1 that the Lord had called Jonah to go to a specific place and he had gone the complete opposite way. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to do his bidding. He didn't want to hear his word. He didn't want to do what he had called him to do. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the text actually says twice. And then he ends up, of course, on a ship. He ends up asleep in the belly of the ship and there's a storm all about and the pagan sea captains are wondering what's going on. And uh, eventually, through a series of events, Jonah says, look, if you throw me overboard, then it will be calm. He recognizes that that particular storm was brought about because of him running from and fleeing the presence of the Lord. And so they throw him into the sea, and the pagans actually end up praising the Lord, and Jonah is now in the sea, and that's where our story picks up. (laughs) And note that it says the Lord appointed a great fish. That underscores the sovereignty of God in salvation and the sovereignty of God in all events. Just as the Lord had halted Jonah's flight to Tarshish, so the Lord also provides a divine rescue. It's at his initiative, it's at his initiation that this fish even comes. Throughout the book of Jonah, we hear the Lord appointed over and over. The Lord appointed the storm. The Lord appoints a plant. The Lord appoints a worm. The Lord appoints a wind. The Lord appoints fish. It's underscoring the reality of God's sovereignty in life and in salvation and the details, both great and small. I will submit to you that the fish is really Jonah's lifeboat. I had an opportunity to talk to Dr. Estelle about this uh, text again yesterday, and he said that it's a water taxi (laughs) that the Lord provides. God's appointing the fish and commanding the fish in 2.10 provides the framework, the device of which God controls this entire situation. He appoints the fish, and then we hear the prayer of Jonah, and then the Lord calls the fish to vomit him out on dry land. That's the framing mechanism. It's the most famous story in the whole book, but what is the point of the story? Thomas Carlyle said, I was so obsessed with what was going on inside of the fish that I missed seeing the drama about what's going on inside of Jonah. What's going on inside of Jonah in this situation? The subject of the sentence, the subject of the text is the Lord. The Lord appointed a great fish. The Lord did this. The salvation belongs to the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary says, the real starring role is not the fish, but the Lord. The fish has a swim on part. (laughs) It's really telling us about the Lord, that the Lord is the one who ordains salvation the means and the ends from beginning to end, that salvation is of the Lord. And here we see the Lord rescuing Jonah. And he uses a great fish to do it. And so we hear the prophet's prayer. The second thing we want to look at is a prayer of gratitude. 
When we get to this psalm, actually, the, the story slows down. There's been so much going on on the surface and storms and sailors and throwing people overboard and casting lots, and now it just kind of slows down and it zooms in. And even as you'll note in your text, uh, so you go through it in Dr. Estelle's class as well, that it moves from prose to poetry in this section. Chapter 2 is a, a different um, Hebrew style. It's poetry. It's one of the Bible's great prayers. And Jonah has not prayed up to this point in the book. And Jonah did not even want to talk to God, and he certainly did not want to hear any more about God. He was fleeing him. He was intentionally running from his presence. And if I wouldn't have read this from the book of Jonah, if I wouldn't have said, turn to Jonah, and I just would have read the passage without reference to the fish on either side of it, where would you have thought that this poem came from? Most of you would probably thought that it comes from the Psalms. It sounds like one of the Psalms. It echoes that kind of language or thought. It's rehearsing the themes of the Psalms and Scripture and reality. Whether or not he was meditating on anyone in particular or knew them, he certainly was steeped in who the Lord is. He's familiar with the Lord and the word of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. And note that it's that Lord to whom he prays. Yahweh, his God, the one from whom he was fleeing in the time of crisis. Much like the prodigal son, he recognizes, wait, this doesn't need to be the way that it is. There's one who loves me. There's one who cares for me. There's one who's faithful. There's one to whom I can turn in a time of help. Verse 2 says, I called out in the midst of my distress, and the Lord answered me. From the belly of the shield I cried, and you heard my voice. That call and response, the call and response that the Lord has to those who are his. It's a wonderful translation where it says, from the belly of Sheol I cried. It's not annihilation and death that Jonah fears. Certainly he fears, in some sense, physical death, but it's the prospect of being abandoned, of being in Sheol and consequently separated from God. Sheol is the place of divine punishment or just deserts for sin or separation or condemnation or the curse. Beloved, we believe that there's something far worse than physical death. We recognize death as deed as an enemy, but a defeated enemy in Jesus Christ. But there's something worse than physical death. And that, of course, is life apart from the saving mercy of God. Life apart from the sacrificial work of Christ and the imputation of his righteousness and the gifts of the Spirit. No shalom, no wholeness, no peace, no real future, no love, no fellowship, no rest. Sheol. He was in the belly of Sheol. There is no place, beloved, in heaven or earth or under the earth or in the depths of the belly of a fish at the bottom of a sea that one cannot call out to the Lord. And that's such great comfort for us in our trials and tribulations and stress. And it's a wonderful truth that we are able to tell all the people that the Lord calls us to minister to or to serve in one way or another. Verses 3 through 6 go on, beautiful, visceral language. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and all of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. You can feel the tension. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Dr. Estelle, in his wonderful commentary, says verse 6 is the psychological center of this poem. Jonah's waywardness and rebellion brought him low. God's faithfulness will raise him high. Jonah is humbled here, isn't he? One commentator said, Sometimes the very best thing that can happen to us is the very thing that we most dread. For the simple reason that it strips away our self-reliance, it humbles our pride, it removes us from every other hope save that of God. Who else could Jonah call upon? Rid of all self-reliance, all self-pride, anything else, thrown into the sea, flashing about, going to drown, one of the worst experiences one could possibly imagine. Dr. Stell goes on to say, when he sank into the deep, the earth shut its bolts behind him. desperate situation. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah had done nothing to deserve this rescue. There's a radical change in direction that the Lord is taking him on, a radically different life. An end to the descending. As you read the book of Jonah, it just keeps going down, 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 down from Joppa, down into the ship, down into the belly of the ship, down into the fish, down into the belly of the fish, down, down, down. Sheol, gates locked, no way out for him on his own. Jonah Jonah contributed nothing positive to his rescue, did he? His salvation is by grace alone. It's mercy. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and salvation to his people God will give. And recognize here that Jonah knows that though it was the sailors who had actually hurled him into the sea, it was God working his sovereignty through them. He says, for you cast me into the sea, your waves, your billows. He recognizes that the Lord is behind all of this. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And the Lord loves Jonah. This is not so much condemnation as correction. It's a rescue. It's sanctification, not punitive, but restorative. Coming after those who are his. He goes on to say, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, Yahweh. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Notice Jonah's focus here is quite specific. Not an unknown God, not an unknowable God, not a cosmic force, not a blind leap of faith, not fortune, not chance, not calculating his odds, but the Lord, his God, Yahweh, his God. Jonah knew of the specific sacrifices of the Lord. Jonah knew of the temple of the Lord and the mercy seat. Jonah had been in the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew the promises of the Lord. He knew the word of the Lord. He knew the works of the Lord. And when he's brought low, it is that Lord to whom he calls. Verse 8 goes on to say, Those who who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Some people think that the Lord is giving Jonah a second chance here. And I submit to you, the Lord isn't giving Jonah a second chance. The Lord is rescuing Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What has Jonah done? What has Jonah contributed to his salvation? 
unbelief, rebellion, sin, and folly. The same things that we do. And we recognize that everything that we have comes to us from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. Our whole salvation from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, is found in the goodness of the Lord. This is a prayer, this is a poem, this is a psalm of gratitude for the mercy, for the rescue, for the grace, and for the faithfulness of the Lord. And then we come to verse 10, and it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Can you think of any other images in Scripture of God taking his people through a watery ordeal and rescuing them and then putting them in dry land? Noah and the flood? Passing through the Red Sea? These are images that occur over and over. The Exodus motif throughout Scripture where all of it is telling the divine story of God's rescue of judgment and mercy, judgment upon his enemies and mercy for his people. Dr. Estelle in his commentary says that Jonah's plight uh, is linked here this, to the Red Sea. This is confirmed not just at the conceptual level, that is to say with allusions to images, but down to the very overlap of the words, the deep and seaweed that are used in this psalm of Jonah are also those used in the song of the sea of Exodus 15, which is Israel's great national anthem, right, for the Lord's deliverance of them, taking them through a watery ordeal and landing them safe in the promised land. Of course, all of this points forward to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Jonah is a type of Christ, both positively and negatively, and we can't explore all the riches of that, but I just want to point out a few. First, Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. He's sent to call people to a repentance and faith, and he spends three days in the belly of a fish. Jesus is greater than Jonah, and he is a prophet, sent to call people to repent and believe, and he spends three days in the belly of Sheol as well. Where Jonah ran from the Lord's calling and commission, Jesus willingly ran to it. Jonah ran away from it, Jesus runs to it. Where Jonah was rescued from abandonment, Jesus endured the abandonment for his people. Jesus willingly throws himself into the sea. Jesus willingly throws himself into the abyss. Jesus willingly throws himself into Sheol to willingly endure the condemnation that should have been poured out upon his people. So that Jesus will cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I and all of God's people never have to cry that cry of dereliction. Where Jonah was thrown into the sea of judgment against his will, Jesus willingly went and endured it for us which is the text that we looked at a couple weeks ago when Jesus said, if there's any way to take this cup from me, let it pass, but yet not my will, but thine be done. He's the anti-Jonah in several ways. He's the anti-Adam. Where Adam went his own way against the way of the Lord and where Jonah went his own way against the way of the Lord and where Israel went their way against the way of the Lord, here's Jesus. The second Adam going the way of the Lord, choosing always to do the will of the Father. The true Israel always obeying. The faithful son, the faithful prophet. 
This is a wonderful image of our salvation, isn't it? And we recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus does not just make salvation possible, beloved. Jesus saves. And this is pointing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus is risen. (laughs) When we were down in the pit, we are raised to newness of life with Christ. He went down to the pit for us and raised us up with him. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. He is risen. Let me close with a prayer that John Calvin had in his commentary regarding this passage. Let's pray. Grant almighty God that as thou has given us such an evidence of thy infinite power in thy servant Jonah, whose mind when he was almost sunk down into hell, thou yet raised up to thyself and had so supported him with firm constancy that he ceased not to pray and to call upon thee. O grant that in the trials by which we must daily be exercised, that we may raise upwards our minds to thee and never cease to think that thou art near us, and that when the signs of thy wrath appear, and when our sins thrust themselves before our eyes to drive us to despair, may we still constantly struggle and never surrender the hope of thy mercy, until having finished all of our contests, we may at length freely and fully give thanks to thee and praise thy infinite goodness, such as we daily experience, that being conducted through continual trials, we may at last come into that blessed rest which is laid up for us in heaven through Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.